Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Futureverse, brought to you by Intelligence Squared and Ytree. I'm Harriet Johnston, and I'm the host of a series of Futureverse episodes in which we're asking a pretty thorny question. What is the true meaning of success? Now, one of Ytree's central missions is to work with our clients to help them build lives in which wealth is defined by how they live, not what they own. And how we choose to define success, how we go about setting and achieving our goals, is a huge part of that. So here at the Future First podcast, we're taking the time to talk to the people we admire about what success means to them, what has shaped their definition of success, and what their relationship with success looks like now. My guest today is Niall Mills, the managing partner and global head of Igneo Infrastructure Partners. Igneo is a large direct infrastructure investor with almost 30 years experience and a portfolio of $25 billion in assets. Niall, welcome to the podcast. Let's start at the beginning. Niall, can you tell us a bit about your background and career? Well, uh, I come from a small place in the west of Northern Ireland called Enniskillen. But it's a very nice place, very pretty place, lots of lakes, uh, great countryside. And I think that very much formed my love of nature and the environment because I was just surrounded by it. And of course, as all kids do, I completely took it for granted. And as a young man, I also realized quite early on that I, I love to understand how things work. So I remember, um, for those people of a certain age, getting my very first cassette player. And the first thing that I did over a weekend was take it apart. And of course, it could never work again after that, but I couldn't tell my parents. And I think that sort of formed my my, my career um, and general interests. And of course, you know, you, you're your career doesn't always go on a straight line. It's it's shaped by opportunity. It's shaped by industry, economic events, and all of that stuff. But I sort of migrated towards engineering as a career, and ended up working as a civil engineer in industry for about twenty years doing that. So I did that for about twenty years. I had a great time. I, I will very quickly say I was enormously helped on a number of occasions by some really good mentors people that gave me their time for free, people that I could um, listen to and ask questions of and had many, many more years of experience than I did. And when that was happening, I always thought, um, when I can, I'm going to give that back. And when people now say to me, uh, thanks for your time, I always say to them, no problem at all, but just please make sure you give it back when you can. Um, that was my that was my kind of you know early inspiration. I worked at railways, I got to work at Terminal 5, uh, I worked in utility sectors, doing all kinds of interesting things. Um, and the business that I was working for back in 2007 was being sold by its owners at the time. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to be asked to be involved in the sale process. And we sold that business to what was at the time a very early generation of infrastructure investors coming into London. Uh, infrastructure investment had been much bigger in Canada and Australia. And there was in the UK. And it was a sort of big, a big rush at that stage. And we ran our sale process and I got to meet... I don't know, 20 infrastructure funds during that process. And when I went back to my day job, I thought it sounds quite interesting. I wouldn't mind doing that. And I got a few phone calls and ended up working for the business that I'm now running. We've gone through a couple of name changes, but it's called Engineer these days. And we built that really from a standing start in Europe to uh, quite a sizable business uh, over the last um, 15 or 16 years. And it's loads of fun. That truly is the way it should be, isn't it? You loved working out how things worked, even as a boy. Did your school days help with that? Did you did you love school? No, my school days were a disaster. 
yeah, absolute disaster. Unashamed disaster. Um, I was really distracted at school. I, I honestly, I just lost my way. And I, um, you know, I went to what people would consider to be a really nice school in the west of Ireland, a place called Pretoria Royal School. Big, big building on the top of the hill. And uh, I basically walked out of there with no qualifications worth talking about at all. And I left uh, Northern Ireland with, uh, and you can imagine how difficult that was, you know, discussing that with your parents. Uh, they just wanted me to go back to school and stuff, but I didn't want to go back to school. So I left Northern Ireland with um, £70 in my pocket. And I hitchhiked to the ferry terminal. And I was very fortunate enough to get a place on a civil engineering course. In the days when you got student grants, you were effectively paid to be a student, um, which is not a luxury that um, students have today. But I went, I've never been to, I went to uh, um, Sheffield, I've never been to the city before, I'd nowhere to stay, nowhere to live. And, you know, the first year or two of that was really tough. And I was very fortunate in that, In um, I, I did what we call internships these days, but was a, called a, a placement course in those days. I was encouraged by some really good engineers. They were, I mean, they were, they were, they were probably only 25 or 26, but to me, they were much older, and much more experienced. And they gave me their time and encouragement. And uh, that year changed my life. And I realized that working was good fun. I realized that I saw firsthand when you, you can work with some amazing people. And it t- totally demystified the nonsense that working in, a, in our office is boring. And, you know, the, the only two things to match in your career. The first one is uh, working with great people. And that doesn't matter where you are. I worked with some great people when I was jumping at filling station when I was 15. Uh, and they looked after them. They were wonderful people. Um, and the year in that engineering office in um, Mass 87, 88, was the same. I worked with some great people that cared, that gave me feedback, that didn't criticize, that just just real positive encouragement. And then the second thing that matters in your career is obviously variety. And if you get to work on a variety of things, you learn faster, you learn, you learn from great people, and you learn, if you've got variety, you learn uh, more because you're involved in more different things. Uh, you get to expand your knowledge and your understanding. And those two things really, together with a work ethic, and as a very wise friend of mine in Germany said to me recently, and the ability to learn through mistakes model, you know, if you could do all of that, your career would look after itself. And that's why I say you don't need career paths. You just need to work with great people, have variety, work hard, and uh, unlearn your mistakes. And then opportunities coming on, you just take them or you don't take them. It's okay. You don't have to take every opportunity. And honestly, from that year, I never really looked back. You gave us an inkling in your answer just there. But I'm curious to just to get a bit more to the heart of the matter. What do you think has shaped your definition of and your personal attitude to success? Ooh, that, that's a broad and deep question. Well, look, I think I think a number of things. I think on a really positive note, uh, I've undoubtedly been shaped by people that believed in me and gave me an opportunity. You know, I... I didn't commit to this world with a silver spoon and the people that supported me believed in me. Many of them didn't know me, were enormously influential. I'd also say I've been shaped substantially by negative people who said things like, you can't, you won't, you're not able. Um, and my advice to young people these days is remove, erase negative people from your life. There's, there's nothing good about having negative people surrounding you or in your life and sometimes they may be very very close to home and so uh, that was a painful and long journey for me to realize that but i got there and i'm now very very focused on that so i've also been influenced by seeing and living through technological change 
Um, you know, I really love the fact that, you know, computing power and software and technology has just accelerated so much over the last 20 years. It really inspires me. I love it. And I also love the fact that, and this is a really, really deeply rooted um, approach to our sort of, you know, investment business is sustainability um, and really, really having a deep understanding of how to sustain a business and enterprise for the long run by doing the right things. So in your own business, you've made a commitment as a fund to be net zero before 2050. We're totally out of that. There's no way to take to 2050. Fantastic. Um, you heard it here first. But what does true sustainability mean to you? Like, what, Why do you see sustainability as vital to long-term success? That's a great question, Harriet. I mean, I, I, I think um, there's too many people talk about sustainability or ESG and they don't really have sufficient training or background to really get under the skin of that. And I think that's a bit of a shame. There are obviously some fantastic experts out there and we, you know, we, we use those and we've got some inside the team as well, which is really important. Um, you know, another belief is never outsource responsibility. You cannot outsource responsibility. It's just it's just wrong for our business. So bring it in, do it properly and live with the upside, live with the problems and, and find a way through. But I think what sustainability means to me, so first of all, it's about sustaining the enterprise so that in 10, 15, 20 years' time, that business is still operating well, delivering profits, paying dividends, um, reinvesting in its, its its underlying assets and its workforce, so that the the money that we manage, which principally comes from pension funds, is still delivering the return that I've promised to my investors for their members. And their members are your and my retired parents or grandparents or neighbours who need to have an income coming in from those funds to sustain their retirement. So... That, that's fundamentally what sustainability means to me. Now, how do you get there? So, first of all, and I'll ask you some rhetorical questions. You know, is it a good idea to look after your staff so they don't leave? Yes. Obviously, yes. Obviously, yes, yeah? And um, is it a good idea not to pollute the environment? Yes. Of course it is, right? So there are two fundamentals that uh, help you sustain the business, right? So people say there's cost. there isn't a cost to that. The cost of hiring and training a young engineer is probably... 50,000 quid, yeah? It's like a really expensive thing to do. If they're lean six months after the train, you've just wasted 50,000 quid. So do it properly, give them things to the product, make them go home in the evening and talk to their friends and relatives about the fact that this business does lots of recycling and lots of training. It's a safe place to work and they've got really experienced people sharing their learning and sharing their experiences to make them better at their jobs when they're, when they're very young in their careers. But those things are good. Um, uh, looking after your customers, blindingly obvious, right? But, you know, we've, we've seen businesses that don't. Good businesses that look after the customers do well. Businesses that are thinking about the future, thinking about technology, thinking about innovation, um, thinking about the right people, trying to embrace better forms of customer service. That's sustainability. Now, thankfully, these days, you can actually report on it. So there's a, a regulation, new European regulation, SFDR, and as a framework to enable people to actually accurately report on it. So we don't need witch doctors and sorcerers anymore to pretend you can actually report properly how these things are going. And good reporting means you report on things that aren't going so well. It's okay. So just to, a second to, to mention that. So as far as you're concerned, that regulation, that reporting system is great. It's worth it. Yeah, but that's the first time in my life I've ever said that I like a regulation. It goes so, so against my grain. But actually, I really want this because I'm so fed up with people saying they're brilliant at things when they're not. Uh, we, one of the things that we, we bang on about a lot in, in the business is we said making a real difference, not just talking about it. 
Um, and for once, there is a format of regulation that will actually help level the playing field and make sure that everybody is trying to get up to the same standards. But honestly, Harry, it's the first time I've ever said like regulation. Well, it's it's actually really refreshing to hear you say that you get behind that regulation, I think, you know, because in this space, there's been so much noise and so much um, talk and so many different frameworks around measurement. So to think that perhaps we really have reached a point where we can unite around regulation, that would be really changing. I think any any form of uh, legal structure or regulation has to evolve and has to evolve every single year. But no, I, I think I think as long as as long as these things are dynamic and kept fresh, and um, you know accept the bits that don't work and bits that do that do work, then that's okay. I think it's it's positive. But you know, I think that's that's you know that sustainable investing is about making sure that you have an enterprise that's there in in the future and it's a better enterprise. Um, the other thing that you can do, and one of the things that I think is a real privilege for us, being my colleagues, is um, we can take a long-term view on capital as well. So we will quite often put substantial amounts of work of money to work to to improve in the future. Now, some businesses on annual budgeting cycles or on shorter-term capital structures that can be very difficult. So at this moment's time, we're building the world's largest battery-powered ferry in Turkey, and uh, you know, and that's that will be in service for a couple of years. But we can take decisions like that. We took that decision in the middle of the pandemic, where there were no people on ferries. Um, but Again, that's what's sustaining the business because customers want to know they're traveling on green transportation. You know, they want to know this is it's up to date. It will sustain that business because it'll be good for customer service. It'll be cheaper. It'll be it'll pollute less, and we can depreciate that investment over you know a large number of years. So it all it all works from the business model, and that's quite fun. That's a very specific example of where your approach to sustainability or success we can we can use them interchangeably have influenced a, a specific project. Do you have any other examples like that? Or is this just like the backbone of how you think about investing? I think every every business that we look at as a sustainability angle or is on a low carbon journey, I'm not sure there are very many businesses out there that don't. I don't think this is in any way unique to us. But I think there are, there are lots in different ways. Sometimes uh, you may invest to improve a business and it's cost neutral. There might not be any financial upside. That's that's okay. And um, in other cases, you can get big environmental improvements, and you can improve the bottom line. But yeah, I, mean, I think I think it's just it's just it's just all the way through. I, mean, I, I said uh, I used to say um, that we've always looked at our investors through through an ESG lens. I've stopped saying that because too many people copying me. But we do. That, that is the way we looked at things because we know that's a great way to do business. And you know, if you look at you know to to pay. Tribute to a remarkable example. If you look at the latest um, Apple ESG sustainability uh, video, you know it's really inspiring, right? You know, going around the room, this with Mother Earth at the at the head of the table, and everybody's talking about the different things they're doing. That is the kind of commitment you have to have in every business. So there's clearly a very strong connection between success and sustainability in your professional life. Does that influence the way you think about success on a personal level? I think it's intertwined. I think, you know, there has been a level of restlessness and discontent that has driven me over many years. And, you know, a friend of mine reminded me this morning, he said, um, when people complain about their careers or their personal lives, quite often 
the problem is a lack of appreciating that you are in control. Um, it took me many, many years to understand that all the things that had gone wrong in my life were probably caused by me. And um, you know, there were there were some other factors, but um, you know, you have to embrace the problems, and you have to put your arms around them, and you have to recognise that you can do something about it. You can you can suffer and you can complain, or you can turn it into a positive and create the energy. And I found that energy and that that um, that discontent that drove the fire inside to make me work really hard and make me try and succeed. And I think that does cross over into personal life. And I think lots of good things like, you know, you know, my wife I've raised two good kids that they're happy and successful. And um, I always said one of the challenging things about being parents is the transition from childhood to adulthood. It's very, very easy for parents to to try and maintain or impose a parent-child relationship. But when your kids are late teens in the twenties, you have to move to adults adult. You have to. Um, otherwise they'll abandon you. Because they have that choice, um, so you know we've we've done that. I'm really proud of that, and that's been all the way through. Thinking about, you know, the journey that you have to go through with your own family. I do a lot of mentoring. I try and help a lot of people. That's not not just in my business. I do that in all kinds of walks of life when I can. And um, sometimes that's just listening. Sometimes it's just sharing ideas. But you know, you do a lot of that. And I also, you know, in, in recent years, I, I people talk about charity, and this this kind of goes to the why tree philosophy as well which I think is quite interesting and um, you know I'm I'm no philosopher okay but I I did I, I kind of when I was making a donation to charity a few years ago I, I kind of I figured you know wh- why is it so easy to spend and so difficult to give right why is that you know I can really spend I'm a really good spender okay top top spender and I couldn't I just thought why is, this, why is it so difficult to give um, and when, when my kids were young, we used to, uh, you know, let's say we had a you know, budget of £150 for our for Christmas presents. We said to the kids, well, hit this, this is your budget, this is what we're going to spend on Christmas presents. And we're going to give the same amount to a charity. Okay? And when they're very young, we said, you pick the charity. Tell, tell them what charity you want to pick. And of course, they didn't know any charities, so they didn't. So I'd always suggest a couple. But, you know, we maintained up for a long time. So whatever budget we had for the two kids for, for Christmas presents, we gave the equivalent budget to a charity. And, you know, and these days, obviously, we don't do the same thing with more grown-up kids. But um, I think, you know, giving to charity is something that once you crack that initial difficulty of giving is, I mean, it's, it's insanely fulfilling, right? And, you know, I'm really positive. And actually, it becomes, you know, this is a lovely thing. It becomes easier to give than to spend once you've gone through that. But if you don't go through it, you're never going to get there. And uh, I, I bought a... A racing eight for my old school boat club last year. Probably best money I've ever spent. Those uh, young guys, it was it was a junior, senior, junior crew, so under all under eighteen, probably just about eighteen by the time they raced in the Irish Championship last year. And um, the previous year was under seventeens. They lost by tenths of a second. A really really close race. And um, I bought them a Olympic quality boat last year. After the, the head of the rowing, head of, the head coach asked me to. I said, "Yeah, all right." And uh, we did this, and they won the following year by milliseconds, right? And the bow made a difference. Clearly made a difference. Now, those, those, those young people have got Irish National Schools champion on their CVs for the rest of their lives. You know, I'm watching the, watching the race. I, didn't, I wasn't there, sadly, uh, but I watched some video many, many times. I share it with lots of people as well, make them watch it, because it's really exciting. It's like a really, really exciting race. In fact, the commentator gets so excited, he leaves the podium, 
and, and hands over to somebody else to run down towards the finish. And uh, and I was chatting to um, one of the fundraisers of this club. This club, by the way, this club is totally cross-community. There's no religious distinction, which is really, really important in my life as well. Um, and it's entirely charitably funded uh, these days. So everything they've got is fundraised. For, so, so, you know, helping them out makes a really big deal. And one of the, the chief fundraising lady who I've got to know really well, we're up to you know, actually exactly the same age. And but very sadly, you know, we didn't know each other. We were kids in the same town, but become very good friends now. And she said to me, what mattered most to the kids was that I believed in them. That is sustainability because you're passing on an energy and a belief. It's like you explained, you know, when you first meet somebody who gives you support and kindness for no reason, not because they know you or they owe it to your parents or whatever, or they're a school teacher. It's so meaningful and it blows you away. Um, and I think that's what you're creating is that sustainable good energy. It's it's magic. I think at Ytree, we like to think about for some of our clients who've got to a point in their lives where often without them having had any plan, they've made enough wealth that of course their family will be fine. And then it's like, well, actually that wealth doesn't almost belong to them anymore. You're really talking about it belonging to to everyone. So it's like, the only value of money is how you're going to spend it. And as you say, just once you've made that leap from actually spending to giving, it's the the return on investment is so, so high from what I see from from all of the um, very philanthropic clients that, that we have. Yeah, I think that's wrong. I think, I think, I think that's entirely true. And, um, you know, I think I know that there are many, many, many wealthier people out there than me. But, you know, I am good enough to be able to, to get it in and do a few good things. Do you think society has really misdefined what success is? I mean, is there a wider role for, for the kind of success we've been talking about that's tied up with sustainability? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you think we've lost our way? I don't, I don't want to come across as critical because I think people have to find their own path. Um, I think that's very important. And, um, you know, inner content, happiness... Being satisfied with oneself is very, very important. And that can take many, many different forms. Of course, you know, we all go through different routes and different paths. So that that is incredibly important, you know. But I think I think we undervalue it. I, I really do think it's undervalued. And I think um, that is a shame. You know, there's some absolutely fabulous careers and opportunities where people could be hugely fulfilled. They don't, but they don't seem to make it to the forefront. I also still think we're missing a great deal at schools to get young people, particularly girls interested in science and technology. The number of schoolgirls that study STEM subjects is still way below where it needs to be, and that's a shame, because they offer amazing careers. It's not all just building sites and the structure works. I mean, all the engineering technology is, is really exciting. I'm just going to close off our conversation with one final question. As you look towards the future, what are your long-term goals for yourself? and How do you plan to measure success in achieving them. Mm, that's why it's called the future verse, isn't it? This is. <laughs> um, I'll be, you know, honestly, Harry, a bit like my career. I'm just going to take that as it comes. But uh, I'm really, really keen to continue to support and take a bigger role in some of the charity work, like the, the boat club that I mentioned earlier, that you know it's helped all these young people get so much confidence. So I want to do more of that. I want to uh, help my kids understand the importance of the environment. I'm not sure I'm going to retire and stick my feet up. 
Uh, I don't think I've got that in me. My wife certainly says there's no chance I'll ever do that. But I know I think I think defining success is we need to be active, engaged, and doing things that do make a difference, as well as things that are just good fun, right? There's nothing wrong with having good old fashioned fun. Whether that's, you know, sports or hobbies or painting or whatever people do, I think that's really important and very fulfilling. But I think I do want to make a difference. And I've I've, I've toyed with the ideas, maybe I'll I've done a little bit of lecturing in the past, maybe I'll do a bit of more of that as well. And uh, try and do some talks on on sustainable investing, some talks on careers, some talks on giving back. Be quite keen to do that. And uh, I don't think I've got a book in me. I'm not, I'm not a writer, but I think I could I could do that, and I'd love to. I'm not trying to inspire some people, just maybe take a slightly different path. If one person can do that for three or four people, then you know you're you're tripling or quadrupling the impact. We love the power of compounding at Y-Tree. So, Niall, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for being here today. And if any of the issues we've discussed in today's episode piqued your interest, please visit y-tree.com to find out more about Y-Tree and the work we're doing to provide an alternative perspective on money and life. And if you liked what you heard, Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode and feel free to explore our back catalogue of content if you want to learn more about money and life.